He was the coach of the year, tennis consultant to former US president, Mr. Donald Trump, Hall of Famer, coach to five world number ones. He has produced eight Grand Slam champions, including the legendary William Sisters, Maria Sharapova, Andy Roddick, Maddox Sands. And he has coached over hundreds of USDA national champs over the past 40 years. So Rick, welcome to our show. It's an honor to have you. And we have seen the movie King Richard, a blockbuster movie, and your role has been beautifully portrayed by Mr. John Belzer. Yeah, no, it was like uh, amazing to have everything come out in a movie and have mm -hmm. everything kind of come full circle. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's been incredible. Mm -hmm. That's nice to know. So where are you these days? And um, how's they can be going? Yeah, no, everything's great. I'm in uh, Boca Raton, Florida. Um, I'm actually at South County Regional Park. It's the mm -hmm. crown jewel of uh, Palm Beach County. It's called Rick Macy Tennis Center. And if you want to hear something like amazing, I live about a half mile from the park. And when I was 12 years old, I grew up in a small town, Greenville, Ohio, about uh, 20 miles southwest of Dayton, Ohio. And at 12 years old, I picked up a tennis racket. I taught myself how to play. By 18, I was number one in Ohio Valley. I never had a lesson. So here I am at uh, age 66. My, I live a half mile from the park now, and I lived a half mile from a park when I picked up a racket. Uh, mm -hmm. I still teach over 50 hours a week, all ages, all levels, still turning out national champions. I work with about 30 people on the tour. So everything's great. I still have the passion and drive, and I love it just as much now as I did back then. That's amazing to know. And your academy, if I'm not wrong, it's pretty famous in the United States. And after the movie, I think the academy has got an uplift and it, like uh -huh. it's, it, it's growing and growing. And so how have you handled the success since then? Well, yeah, there's obviously there's going to be more phone calls. I think the, the movie, the way it came out, it really showed, you know, what I did for the Williams family, not just the belief I had, and Venus and Serena that I thought they could be number one in the world. I thought they could transcend the game, but mm -hmm. to take the chance and kind of bankroll the whole thing, you know, to make it happen and take on the whole family. Uh, to me, it, it wasn't a risk because I believe in me and I know what I can do to put Humpty Dumpty together. And I believed in Venus and Serena about what they could become because I saw the speed, the quickness, the athleticism and, I knew, I just knew where this could be. Nothing's a guarantee. You could have got hurt. Obviously something could happen. And I actually loved Richard because he was so different and he wasn't going to let anything get in the way. And it was pretty much me and him against the world. So um, yeah, it's, it's a lot. People are calling because I think they just show, it shows how much I, you know, cared about the situation because people probably didn't really know the true story. It sounds better, obviously, from Compton to Center Court, but obviously the four years when they came from California to the Academy, Richard mm -hmm. was my best friend, and yeah. Venus and mm -hmm. Serena were like my own daughters, and I think yeah. that comes loud and clear in the movie, and when you love what you're doing, and you love the people you're with, and you're on a mission, uh, and you believe, I knew it was going to happen, but yeah, it's a little busier, people want maybe more pictures or whatever, but my academy is a little different. You know, I've done this since 1985. I'm one of the last of the Mohicans uh, 
there's no billion dollar corporation behind it. It's kind of me driving the engine. I do so much private stuff about 12 other coaches, um, but it's more personalized. It's more family orientated, but it's all about the instruction. We're pretty much the worldwide leader in mechanics, the methodology I put together with Dr. Brian Gordon. So yeah, everything's great. But at the end of the day, things have changed around me a little bit, but mm -hmm. I still want to be on the court every day, seven days a week, uh, teaching anybody, mm -hmm. anytime, anywhere. Definitely, like working in a movie, a glamorous world. I can understand that. And how is it working with a top-notch actor like Will Smith and the director Marcus Green? No, you know, I got to, I got to meet, I got to meet, you know, everybody, obviously. And when mm -hmm. I, when I talked to Will Smith at the after party, you mm -hmm. know, I told him no one had a better front row seat than Rick Macy, other than maybe <laughs> Richard's wife, you know, um, because all the nuances, the subtleties, uh, mm -hmm. the one-liners, the attention to detail was mm -hmm. really mind-boggling because yeah. no one knew Richard any better than, than myself, other than, you know, his wife or seen. So when I got to talk to Will and I told him these things, he was so honored because when you're an actor and you go all in, I mean, he was probably talking like Richard, even at home to his own kids, you know, they go all in. And so I think it, it probably means more for me than a critic because I, I was there. So he was very pleased about that. And everybody involved in, in the movie, I can't even tell you the attention to detail mm -hmm. of how accurate so many of these things were from the clothes to the, 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 the things that I said. Even when I went to Compton and after the first hour and I saw how Venus and Serena could move and compete, you know, I went right up to Richard and I said, let me tell you something. You got the next female Michael Jordan on your hand. And he put his arm around me and he goes, no, brother, man, I got the next two. So there's so many things that are so spot on. And even the tennis, they got it right. And uh, so I think the whole film's just amazing. Even if you don't play tennis, it's motivational, educational, inspirational, dedication. You, you name it. Um, power of family, love. So everybody can get something out of it. And uh, I, I thought it was awesome. Yes, definitely. The movie shows like how one family could change the world and revolutionize the yeah. entire sport, like create an impact. So definitely all the nuances and everything, all everything was suddenly covered and it was amazing to see. And there was this beautiful scene of yours wherein you learn about like two young prodigies growing up in Compton, 10-year-old Venus, 9-year-old Serena. What really motivated you to take the flight from Florida to all the way to California just to visit the Williams family? First off, that's a great question. And even though I've been asked that literally thousands of times, even before the movie, but now obviously with the movie, because um, mm -hmm. a lot of people would like me to do that for their kid, but you know, it was interesting. I get a call from Richard Williams and I heard of Venus. She was in the New York Times. I think she was undefeated in the 10 and under. Mm -hmm. And usually if I see a player, it's at a national tournament or they come to the academy. I've never jumped on a plane my entire life. And I still have it to this day and to go see someone. And Richard on the phone, we were talking. I didn't know anything about Compton except you know, riots and it wasn't like, it wasn't a vacation destination, you know, in my mind. So he just said, Hey, Rick, I promise you won't get shot. So I thought the guy was hilarious and we started talking sports and I just really liked Richard. 
And I just said, you know what? Next weekend, I'm going to go out to Compton and just see what this is all about. So I fly there to LAX. I go to the hotel. Uh, Orsine and Richard and Venus and Srina come there that night. It was like yesterday. Uh, Richard's sitting in the chair, Venus on one leg, Serena on the other leg, arms around dad, kissing him all the time. So, uh, amazing close-knit family. And what you see in the movie, it's like that times 10. You don't understand. This was like, bang. They were like, right like that. So Richard asked me like 50 questions. I thought I was in a deposition with this guy. He wanted to know more about me than, than I knew. And Venus and Serena, it was funny. Uh, they just kept staring at me. And uh, when I saw him at the after party and we talk about all this, we were all laughing so hard. I think they had a lot of acquaintances. They probably didn't have a lot of friends. So the next day they go, Rick, we're going to pick you up at uh, uh, seven o'clock. We're going to go to East Compton Hills Country Club. I said, okay. So they picked me up at seven in the, in the uh, Beetle bus that you see in the movie, exactly the same color, wobbled the same. It was identical. Amazing. So I get in, I get in the passenger side. And I get harpooned in the buttock by a spring that's sticking up. And in the back seat, there's Venus and Serena. There's like four months worth of McDonald's wrappers. There's tennis balls. There's dirty clothes. It was, it was, I was like in a movie. Because remember, I was at Greenleaf Golf and Tennis Resort. I was a director. It's a five-star resort. And so this was very, very different. So we start driving to East Compton Hills Country, Country Club. And then 10 minutes later, I'm going... Well, this is a strange place for a country club. We pull up to some park. Uh, we get out. There's about 25 guys playing basketball. People are drinking, smoking, laying on the ground, passed out, whatever. We go, start to go across the basketball court. It parts like the Red Sea. And people are going, hey, Richard. Hey, King Richard. Now, this was in 91. They called this guy King Richard. And then they go, hey, Meek. Meek was Serena's middle name. Her name's Serena. Jamaica, Jamaica Williams. They go, hey, me. And they go, hey, VW. They knew who they were. They parted like the Red Sea. We went through there, went onto the court, and I had a brand new box of Wilson balls. Richard goes, uh, we don't use new balls. We want to use old balls. I want them digging out, getting low. And I said, well, I, I got it. It was just a little different, you know? So we go to the court. He had a basket attached to the net post. He had seven, he had seven chains wrapped around it. It took him 20 minutes to get the chains off. I'm going, this is crazy. The courts were terrible. No, me or you wouldn't play on the court. That's how they were just crazy. And so uh, we started playing and Venus was a lot stronger and better than Serena. Okay. So we were, I was doing drills with both the girls for an hour. And the first hour I'm sitting there going, what in God's name am I doing in Compton, California on a Saturday? I didn't think they were any better or any worse. Um, than maybe 50, 60, 70 in the nation. But I think it's a good lesson for any parent coach or even Rick Macy. You don't judge a book by its cover. You know, the cover could be amazing and the book bad. The cover could be like bad and the book amazing. So then we started playing competitive points. Like me and Serena played against Venus. And right then and there, it blew my socks off. The whole landscape changed. The footwork got a little better. The preparation got better. Uh, it wasn't like filet mignon. Remember, I had Jennifer Capriotti for three years, and she was probably the best junior player in the history of tennis. She won the girls' 18s when I had her as a 12-year-old. I mean, that record will never be broken. That was done in 88. 
So my reference point, as far as, you know, is very different than anybody in the world. So, but once they started playing, we start playing the burning desire, the burning desire to get to the ball. I never saw that. And I have it to this day to get to the ball. I never saw two little girls try so hard to get to a ball. Something was inside these kids where they ran so hard, they almost fell over. And Venus had the long legs and there was beads flying off their, <laughs> they had arms and legs. There was tentacles going everywhere. And I just couldn't believe the movement. Now I'm thinking six feet, 160, big, strong, fast. And they go for the jugular. And this was in the nineties. Women's tennis, if you were big and strong, you weren't nimble. So I knew right then and there, that's when I went up to Richard and said, hey, you got the next female Michael Jordan on your hand. And he said, no, I got the next two. And then Venus went out the gate. And for the first five feet, she walked on her hands. And then she did backward cartwheels. And I went, this is crazy. Because I know, I knew where this could go. And I told Richard right then and there, they could not only be one in, one in the world someday, they can transcend the sport. Tennis hasn't seen that. They need help, a lot of help, technically, whatever, matches, practice, financial help. But I knew right then and there, okay, it was the best decision. The best vacation I ever took was to Compton, California, my whole life. And uh, I guess from here on in, the, the rest is history. So yeah, the vacation that you took in Compton, California has <laughs> transcended tennis. So I think we all should, the tennis community thanks you for that. <laughs> Thank you. So, yeah. And by your words, like I understand like the Williams sisters, they trained on a shoestring budget while they were in California. And you made a heavy investment on them, not just them, the Williams family, and that you got them to Florida by making a heavy investment. This, despite that, Despite the fact like Sir Richard, he had a constant resistance towards the junior circuit and he was against it. So how did you manage, like, how did you get the courage to make that heavy investment on them? Um, I know it's, you know, that people ask me that all the time because, you know, there was a $92,000 motorhome and there was a house mm -hmm. and there was a van and a $54,000 salary and taekwondo and boxing and disney tickets and um hitting partners and i could go on and on and the wild card is my time you know four hours a day six days a week with rick macy uh that that alone you know this thing gets into the millions so at the end of the day i just knew what i saw and i knew what i could do and i could help use to build their game offensively cut the court take the ball early I, the wiring inside was already baked in extra crispy. I just saw it. So it didn't matter what the number was. It really didn't. You know, I didn't care what, what was going to happen. All I knew is I was on a mission with Richard to make this thing happen. So it's hard to explain for a lot of people. I just, I just knew it wasn't like any doubt, like, well, they're limited here. They're limited there. I just felt they needed opportunity. They needed to play better people. They needed hitting partners and they needed someone like myself that knew how to extract greatness and put Humpty Dumpty together uh, the best I could. So it, it, it's hard for a lot of people to understand. It's a big chance, but I didn't, other than a catastrophic injury, to me, there was no chance or I, I wouldn't have done it. 
And what's crazy, you could imagine, I've been asked that type of thing thousands of times throughout my career, okay? And I've never done it since. Yeah. And if I saw, if I see something and I believe, then I would do it. But the financial part didn't matter simply because I knew the upside. I was part of something much bigger than Rick Macy. Uh, not only could they be one in the world and they lived in the same house and shared the same bedroom, they could transcend the sport. So uh, when you believe in something and believe in yourself, to me, I wasn't taking a risk. And more importantly, uh, I love the whole family and I love Venus and Serena. So that also, you, you know, you like the people that you're with. And this was when they weren't that good. You got to understand it's easy. Once someone wins a couple grand slams, you start coaching them and you get all the credit, you know, yeah. to do the dirty work and, you know, put the ingredients in the oven and bake it, then kind of ice it. That's the hard part. And this is what I've done my, my whole life with many people, but a uh, best decision I ever made. Yeah, definitely. I do agree with that. And moving on to the present generation, fathers of Naomi Osaka, Coco Goff, and presently the success of Leila Fernandez. All of them have one thing in common. What they have said is like they owe their, their fathers, they owe their, their daughter's success to Sir Richard. So do you really feel like Mr. Williams, he revolutionized the game of women's tennis and uh, by, by encouraging other parents to put racket in their kids' hands? Absolutely. You know, it, and like I said, Richard was my best friend and no one knew Richard better than Rick Macy. So, uh, and the, the, the way that he went about doing things to the media, he came across very different, but I saw what, what went on every single day, you know, and the movie portrays that he, he, he'd make the kids bring their books to the court. And if it rains, they'd go up in my office and study every single night, good practice, bad practice practice happy sad mad every night both venus and serena would look me in the eye thank you rick very much every night you gotta understand this guy was teaching life lessons he had him doing interviews at age 10 after dinner on a tripod he was preparing them for the future there's so many things that happened that even weren't in the movie that were so positive uh, but what people get out of the movie or if he inspired people before the movie to get into tennis this happens a little bit more with fathers and their daughter. It's daddy's little girl. You don't hear it as much with the boy. It's always because they protect the girl a little bit more. You know, I had the same thing with Capriotti and her dad. You see this through the years, Steffi Graf and hers, um, Sabatini and hers. You could go back down the line. Fathers are more involved. Wozniacki, they end up, uh, you know, they're there more with the daughter than with the guy. So this is very common. But to answer your question, uh, Richard was amazing because he wasn't going to let anybody change his mind ever about what he wanted to do. Uh, even though I got him to change his mind to have Venus play that pro tournament, um, I, I just I just love the guy and what he's done for uh, not just tennis, but people now know about education, making good grades, treating people right. Uh, this has to happen before that. That's what I really like about the movie more than anything. It's not a highlight reel of Venus and Serena hitting tennis balls. There's a lot more meat on the bone. 
and that's all Richard. And I also want to acknowledge Orsine. Uh, she didn't say a lot, but when she did, uh, everybody listened, including Rick Macy. So she was a big part of this also. And I think that comes loud and clear in the movie. Exactly. So speaking about Capriati, as you mentioned, so there's this wonderful scene in the movie wherein the Williams family land at your academy. And as soon as they land, you schedule a training session with world number one, three-time Grand Slam champion, Olympic gold medalist, Jennifer Capriati. So what really motivated you to set up that coaching session? And were the girls, were they intimidated by that? No, you know what? This is, this is another reason why I, I knew what was inside Venus and Serena mm -hmm. at nine and 10 years old on those raggedy old courts in Compton. Uh, nothing, nothing fazed them. And this is a very unique quality. I kind of saw that in Sonia Kennan, who I coached from age five to 12. I saw it in Sharapova. Uh, Capriati had that. The, the mental part was already baked in. You can get that later on in life because when you're a kid, you, your brain can't reason and the mental part takes longer. So no, they, they weren't intimidated by anybody. And they played a lot of people much better than Jennifer, you know, guys on the tour. Uh, they, they didn't think they ever lost. I think they thought, uh, I, I just ran out of time. I, I, even today, Serena probably thinks she's undefeated. She maybe thought she never lost. And, but it's a mindset. Jordan thinks like that. Greatness thinks like that. But they're just, they were different. It's one thing to know it, say it, tell someone it, but to buy in and have that type of depth mentally. Uh, that's a tribute to the mom and dad. So no, they, they weren't intimidated by anything. Um, and that's, that's a big thing, that belief. They just had it in their mind. Listen, we're going to be number one. There's no doubt. We're bringing something different to tennis. Nothing against anybody else, but we're special athletes that the world has never seen. And we're, we're playing tennis. I actually told Richard when I was in Compton, the first like 25 minutes, I, I was ready to tell him, I think Venus should play track and field. She could have been on the Olympic team. Um, just, but then when I saw her with the racket and move and the way she compete, uh, I think both of them made the right decision. So as we know, like Venus and Serena, they were prodigies, extremely talented, undefeated, fearless. And, and we also saw that like Venus had an extra limelight than Serena. And also Serena has also mentioned like while growing up, she was known as Venus Williams' younger sister. Like she did really have her own identity. So who do you think was the better player during the junior days? And did you really feel that like Serena will go on to be the GOAT? Awesome question. And I was asked this on the Tennis Channel podcast. So I need to mm -hmm. explain this because my view is very different. And I think a lot of people are going to look at this very differently. Okay. As a youngster growing up, Venus was obviously, because she was bigger, stronger, but more importantly, she was more stick to it. She was more mature. Serena, when she was little, she was like a little prankster. She was like, she, would, she was a happy-go-lucky kid. She wasn't like locked in, you know, at that age yet. So it, it's not where you start, it's where you finish. So yeah, Venus was much, much better you know, 11, 12, 13, when Serena started maturing, that's when Richard would say even more. I think Serena is going to be better. Da, 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 da. Now to answer your question. Um, I always thought Venus 
could have been the best player of all time. And here's why. When she was 14 and she, we, when she went to her debut, when she played Sanchez, she went to the net 33 times. When she played Nabotna at Wimbledon, she went 35. She played Steffi Graf early on in her career. She went into the 30s. Um, and at 15, I was no longer in the picture. But I always thought Venus was going to serve and come in more, a little bit, take your second serve, smack it in the corner, get in your face. This girl, you remember, I said the next, the next female Michael Jordan, her vertical jump, uh, she can jump higher than anybody on the tour. I mean, her vertical, you cannot lob this girl. And her wingspan, she has these tentacles, and she has a great wingspan. But the problem is, you never saw her at the net that much. I mean, obviously, she was at the net, but not like the plan. I thought she was going to play different. And listen, I'm not here Monday morning quarterback. I love being a Serena to, to death. But with those gifts from above that Serena didn't have, amazing jumping ability and wingspan. I thought Venus would be at the net in your face, even if you don't volley, um, especially in women's tennis, you can just scare people. So I thought she'd play a different style because I think when you get out there, when you're that athletic, you can run. Even when you're nervous, you can just athlete your way around the court and be great because they had so many other attributes. So I really believe that Venus could have won more grand slams than anybody. Just if she would have played a different style because there are gifts from above. I don't think we're taking advantage of, and by no means am I, once again, I'm not criticizing anything. It's just that uh, if she'd have played even more mixed doubles and doubles, she'd have broken all the records. But then again, maybe with no Serena, there might be no Venus. So they might go hand in hand, but at the end of the day, Venus was, uh, well, she was amazing. You got to understand there was a lot more. I feel she could have done. Now, did I ever think Serena would be better? Serena had one thing, and people don't understand this. She had all the time in the world. It's an innate quality. You know, I think Tom Brady has it. I think Joe Montana. I think people, certain people have more time. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to be great at anything. You just need you have more time. So I saw that in Serena at nine years old. She just didn't seem rushed mentally, even at the net. She didn't seem rushed. And I'm on many interviews saying she has all the time in the world. And she's the best athlete I've ever coached. And, you know, I could see where it was going. But until mentally you start to mature and you lock in, Serena didn't get this till like later on, but she had all the capabilities. The biggest difference with Serena, she, she, was, she was like a little pit bull. When she got a hold of you, she would not let go. Even like when she was little, we'd play tag in the sand. Kids would run around, and play tag. And the first day, that we played tag, it was like 40 kids in the sand pit. Serena was playing tag with a closed fist. I go, whoa, 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 hey, Serena, you got to play tag with, a, with your fists open. That's how fierce that she was and competitive, you know? So that mental strength inside with that athleticism, you could see that she could be potentially better than B, but I'll say it again. I think if B takes your second serve and comes in, serves and volleys a little bit, the minute you're off balance, she's at the net like Batman. I think Venus could have been the best player of all time. But then again, she would have had to play Serena probably a lot more too. So uh, at the end of the day, they're both two of the greatest players ever, iconic. But more importantly, they're two of the nicest people, most polite people, considerate. 
And that starts at a young age. They're the exact same people. When I saw them at the after party, I was just VW and me, just the little kids that I remember. And it was amazing. Yeah, like in the movie, like King Richard had mentioned, like it's important to be humble. And he gave well, Cinderella's example. Yeah. No, for sure. That was, uh, they're, they're like that. I'm just telling you, that's why I've always said, Richard, a lot of the heavy lifting was done to Rick Macy. I did the heavy lifting and this, the, the, all the coaches and stuff. I tell people all the time, you know, I was with Richard for four years. Just, just for that alone, I should be in the Hall of Fame, you know, put, keeping my hands around that because the cast of characters, the hitting partners, and, you know, all the personalities and the ups and downs, uh, you know, to, to keep my hands around that for four years and have that walk off the street, hibernating at Rick Macy Tennis Academy, never playing a match, beating 57 in the world, almost beating number one. I mean, you, it's, you can't make this up. That just doesn't happen. You know, so something happened in that three and a half years when before the debut of just training, no tournaments. And Venus never beat anybody. She didn't win. She didn't beat the boys and beat the hitting partner. And so uh, and one final one other story, the day of the tournament, I told Venus this at the after party, she played Gerard and Gerard probably beat her 300 times in a row over three years. I mean, he played four, four, he was 400 in the world for like Congo Davis cup and she could never win. She was never going to beat him. He's lefty top spin. So I said, Gerard, make it close, go into a tiebreaker, let her clip you at the wire. So they're battling it out for an hour and Venus wins. She comes off the court. She goes, Rick, Rick, I'm peeking at the right time. I'm peeking at the right time. And I'm sitting there going, yeah, because I wanted to build her confidence and have her motivated for that Stafford mm -hmm. match. So that's a good thing for any coach. You know, I just wanted that motivation and belief because she never beat the guy in three and a half years. And the day she's making her debut, she finally beat someone. So she was on fire. But I'll be honest. Um, I had no idea what was going to happen at the tournament. I tell people this all the time. I knew one thing. They would see some little girl from Compton, California that had a great smile and had these beads in her hair. And she was going to run like a gazelle around a tennis court. A lot of open stance on both sides. When you're off balance, she was at the net, a big serve already. And, but that doesn't mean you're going to win. She could have lost no one. Oh, she could have been shooting missiles from North Korea all over the place. I don't know what she was going to do because you don't know the mental, but I think people would look at that and say, this kid's going to be the next great American. But the fact that she won that match. Okay. Um, and see her jumping up and down in the net and that smile. That's, that's been with me my whole life. And then she almost beat Sanchez and she would have, except for the bathroom break. People knew right then and there that this girl, this little girl, will someday be number one. And what's crazy is her little sister might even be better. Speaking more about the little sister, there's the scene in the movie where an Orsine fixes Serena's toss and Serena's serve. And that serve is invincible in the game of tennis right now. And also it is feared by the ATP tennis players, Serena's serve, which is an iconic one. So besides that, besides a serve, what were the major adjustments that you brought into Serena's game? Well, I think both girls. Okay, to take a step back, uh, whenever you do anything, it's a team effort. You know, I mean, it's a team effort, okay? You know, Richard had a lot of involvement. 
mom had, Isha, Lindrea, I did, the coaches there. Uh, but obviously, you know, I'm kind of running the show. So, you know, Serena had a more natural throwing motion as a youngster than even Venus. And, you know, when you get into who did what, who did that, I like to say uh, Serena's the one eventually made her serve amazing. And the, every, every player uh, takes ownership. You know, you can tweak this or help that. But at a young age, you're right. Technically, the wrong grip or a crazy backswing or something could really change career and cost you not only millions of dollars, it can, it can change the landscape. So um, it, when you ask that question, it, it's everything. I mean, you know, the volleys, the grips, the backswing. Uh, but with them, it was a little different because when you're working with athletes, you got to let them improvise. And I didn't ever want to put them in a box because they do a lot of things more natural and more fluid that maybe some people would look at that's a liability. But I thought it was like an asset or a weapon like Venus's open stance backhand down the line. I think it goes down as one of the top three shots in the history of women's tennis, because when she hits open stance down the line, you can't read it. That hip goes this way and her hands go down the line. You know, it's coming, but she keeps hitting winners. So, and a lot of people, you know, push back on me when they saw her play like, oh, that's biomechanically wrong. And I said, well, wait a minute. What you see is a liability. I see it's disguise and deception because we were just way ahead of the curve where tennis was going bigger, faster rackets, bigger athletes, different strength. So it was a game that was more of an emergency. And so that's why I love Richard. He got it and I got it. And that's why we just clicked. It wasn't like my way or the highway, even though he comes across very stubborn. Uh, he really wasn't with me. Okay. Cause we had a friendship because he knew I was there for one reason, not for Richard. I was there for the girls. That's all that mattered. And that's the art of coaching. I tell people all the time, I don't really coach the kids. I coach the parents. You know, that's understanding human behavior and all this stuff. So to answer your question, it was everything. We spent so much time on everything. Because you got to remember, especially Serena, she was like a piece of clay. This could be molded any which way. The grip could have been messed up. The backswing could. There's many different things. Because at 10 years old, you're just getting started. Um, so really everything. And it's hard when you talk uh, helping people or coaching every day, tweaking, fill in the hole, uh, because I was on a mission. I was on a mission. And when you're on a mission and you love what you're doing and you love the people you're with, um, and it really had nothing to do with the money, you know, well, I got to do this because of all this, I got to try to get back or something. It wasn't like that. It was just, we got to get better every day. And every little thing, every little thing was a big, they, they drained a, uh, a public shopping cart every night and we would practice the serve. Like they hit more, I'm going to tell you right now, they hit more serves than anybody in the history of the world in junior tennis. I already know that. Yeah, I mean, to the point where people think you could get injured, but it was all about repetition, repetition. And even though biomechanically their bodies are different and they use the ground different and they had two different motions, uh, they had two things in common, two of the fastest serves ever in women's tennis and two of the serves that could be placed better than anybody. Absolutely true. And yeah. speaking about Serena's present form, uh, she hasn't won a major title since her motherhood, but she has been on the doorstep like four times and she's just short of two sets 
So when do you think the 24th Grand Slam will be coming up uh, this year, early next year or in 2023? Yeah, you know, obviously it gets tougher as you get older. Uh, the fear factor from other players isn't going to be there. Uh, and maybe even the confidence level from Serena, I call her meek. Okay, might not be what it is, but once she starts winning a few matches, I, I, I'm just telling you, you never count out the heart of a champion. Uh, she's a very special lady, you know, and yeah, I, I, you know, I would, I would not bet against her uh, about anything, but I think it's all her just playing more and getting a little more confidence and obviously being super fit because, you know, with that serve, as long as she's hitting corners and if that confidence is there, she'll take it earlier. She'll take more chances. She'll be inside the baseline. Uh, and she can just play through you. But there's a lot of things that have to go right for that. But I would never, ever, ever bet against Serena because that championship DNA, uh, if she gets on a roll, uh, other than herself, no one would like to see her do that more than Rick Nation. Here speaking more about American tennis, it, it was not, it is not just Serena and Venus dominating the game. We have had champions like Sloan Stephen, Sophia Cannon, and also this year, Jennifer Brady. She made it to the finals of the Australian Open. But whereas the men's tennis on the other side, it has been struggling since Andy Roddick. He, he won his, he won the slam at Open 03, and later he was in the finals of Wimbledon. And if I'm not wrong, only Marty Fish and John Isner have made it to the top 10 in, from, the present, from the present era. So why do you think the men's tennis is struggling on, in the U.S. specifically? Well, first off, another great question. And obviously, I've answered that one for, you know, really the last 20 years. Uh, because, you know, I, I, I coached Andy when he was number one in the nation in the 12th. And so, and he's the last one to win a grand slam. Um, yeah, to me, it's, it's pretty simple. You know, it, this isn't that complex as time has went on. Obviously the game has become more global. Okay. That's number one. Um, and even more so, I mean, and the best athletes, okay. From other countries gravitate to tennis because if you're good, it can be a very nice lifestyle. Um, that's the biggest thing. The, the pool is just bigger globally. Um, I tell people all the time, there's no doubt about it. If I had LeBron James at 10 years old, okay, I could have made him number one in the world. There's no doubt about it, okay? Uh, if, but they go to basketball, they go to football, they go to baseball, they go to other sports. And with the women, it's a little different because there's not as much on the menu. You know, sure, you got volleyball and soccer and maybe swimming, but more in the, the physicality is not there as much with the females, uh, generally speaking. So, but it's really that, okay? Because if you think about after Roddy, let's just talk who's been there. And don't get me wrong, Francis is a great player. Uh, there's so many, there's so many great players. But to be there at the top, mentally, you got to be different, and you got to be one of the best athletes, movement-wise. Technically, you got to be way above average because you can't have holes in your game. But just think, John Isner went to college and he was there for a long time, top 10, whatever. But he's six foot 11. 
And now you got my good friend, Riley Opelka, who was at the after party, also got to talk to him. Great guy. He's seven feet tall. Now, normally those people are shooting jump shots on a pro basketball team, but they just so happens. I mean, think about it. The two of the best people, players, are the two of the tallest on the tour. And they're, they're, that's our, the Americans. You know, understand? So, so we don't get the athletes. It's really that. So how would I fix it? And I've been asked this question many times. I'll say it again. I would get the best athletes. The parents have a great day, DNA, whether they played in the Olympics, they played college, both the mom and dad, or maybe one fast twitch muscle. I would get the best athletes. And I think the USTA probably didn't like to hear this. I would search for the needle in the haystack. But when you search for people and evaluate talent, it's all in the eye of the beholder. Because a lot of people saw Venus and Serena, but I saw it very differently than everybody else. And I put my money out there besides sweat equity because I just can evaluate the talent. I know where this can go. So get the best guys, six, seven, eight. Know how tall they're going to be. Know what the genetic base is. All this can be measured. You know, you even can draw blood. I mean, this is what they do in the Olympics. You, 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 I'm not saying you clone people or whatever, but you want to hedge your bet on someone that's crazy quick, crazy fast, unreal jumping ability, a competitive household that they're going to like Roddick. When I had Roddick, you know, he was a brutal competitor, some holes in his game, but just a brutal, brutal competitor, probably because his older brothers beat him up all the time. I don't know. But so this is to go there and be one of the best players, Federer, Djokovic, Nadal, Murray, and win multiple Grand Slams. It's a package. So if you're going to hedge your bet, you want to find those needles, but it's more than that. It's who's trying to find the needles. Um, and I've asked to do this many times. You know, I've been right about Jennifer and Kenan and Venus and Serena, and I could go on and on. Maybe they didn't become number one, but they had good pro careers. So that's what I would do. But that's why we're going to have a lot of very, very good high level guys. And what's a little different, the standard now is, well, we have this many people in the top 100. We should have any, that many people. With all the people who play tennis in the United States, we should have 30, 40 guys in the top 100. But top 10 is rare air. R winning grand slams is rare air. There's a big difference between great and good. Okay? Greatness is a special fraternity. So the, it, we might have a few breakthrough. Corda looks like the real deal. Um, there's a good genetic base there with his mom and dad and sister. So there's a lot with Corda that I like. He's the maybe the best about what I've seen. But the current American guys, I think maybe they might be able to get a slam. And a lot of them could go in the top 10. But to be there and stay there for seven, eight, nine, like Roddy, he was there. He never had hardly any bad losses. And, you know, he was maybe limited on his backhand or volley, but his serve was nuclear. His forehand was amazing. And his heart was crazy amazing. But what I would do, get the best athletes at a young age, who's evaluating the talent, and you build a player. Technically, let's get the forehand like Federer. Let's get the backhand like Djokovic. Let's have the biomechanics on the serve like this guy. Have an all-court game. You know, make sure that's how you hedge your bet. And then hopefully you put it on someone that has a good family, okay, and a good work ethic. I know 
to what I'm saying might sound easy, but you know what? It is. If you get the thoroughbred, you can win the race if you get the thoroughbred. Okay. And, and they're out there, but they go to other sports because tennis is very expensive. And so they just pick up a ball and start shooting jump shots or they just go tackle someone. So that would be my recipe, but that's why we don't have that. But don't count out Riley or Francis or some of these guys coming up. They might grab one, but to get there and stay there, uh, it has to start at the young age and everything has to come together. Absolutely. So Francis, like he has put up the show last year, this year, sorry, it was wonderful to watch him on his matches. And moving on, I have to, I have one obvious question. What is your, what are your thoughts on the good debate? What's my thoughts on what? On the GOAT debate, the greatest of all times. On men or women? Or both? Uh, both. Well, I mean, to me, it's easy with the, you know, already know what I'm going to say about uh, the women. Uh, I think if you just judge it on the accomplishments and with your eyes, mm -hmm. I don't think anybody's even close to Serena. I just don't even think it's close. Nothing against anybody else, but I just, she's like, she's incredible and it has nothing to do with me. She's just incredible in every way. So to me, that's a slam dunk. The guys, you know, I don't really, I don't really think about it. Obviously, you know, you're, you're, everybody loves Federer because the way he plays so graceful and artistic and stuff like that. Um, and we judge it on how many slams uh, that you, that you win. Uh, you can't argue with Djokovic you know, because of the way he, his consistency and staying up there and having very few speed bumps. Um, why don't we do this again in a few years? And you can ask me the question because I think it's still to be determined, but it, it looks like Novak right now, but, you know, you know, Federer, I think is maybe the best player in my opinion of all time, but Novak might go down as the greatest. Um, but don't count out Rafa either. I mean, you know, I think they all, uh, maybe there'll be a tie. I don't know. <laughs> so yeah, it's a ageless debate which is going on. So to wrap up the interview with, do you have any word of advice for the upcoming players and the budding players of the game? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think uh, uh, if you can believe it, you can achieve it. You should follow your dreams. When mm -hmm. people say you can't, uh, that's their opinion. It's what you think of yourself. That's more important than what others think of you. And if you have a great attitude and you work hard, you know, anything, anything's possible, you know, anything's possible, you know, especially with social media and everybody that's in your ear and what you read and hear, and just always believe in yourself. Cause at the end of the day, if you believe in yourself, that's the most powerful weapon on earth. Okay, I hope your academy produces more and more Venuses and Serena. Thank you so much for your time and I wish you good luck with all your future endeavors. All right, I enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thank you, Rick. I enjoyed it too. All right, have a good all day. All right, bye. You too.